I experienced a wonderful prayer testimony this week as I was at the home when Betty Jean had just died and Willie, her husband, was telling me again that they prayed for me every day. And I know they did. Betty Jean and Willie Peavy prayed for me every day. They said, he said, we pray for you. We pray for your wife. We pray for your daughter and daughters. We pray for your mother. We pray for your wife's sister every day. And that is a very deep and wonderful encouragement to me. And it is a great ministry that this couple have had through these years when they've been homebound. But one of the things I wonder now is who's going to step into Betty Jean's place now that she's gone to heaven and be the prayer warrior who prays every day for me and my family. And I know some of you already do that, and I am supported by your prayers. You know what it's like to have somebody praying for you and knowing that they're praying for you. When the disciples saw Jesus pray, they said, teach us to pray like that, like we just saw. They were good Jewish boys who had been praying all their lives, but not like that, not like how they saw Jesus pray, and they wanted Jesus to teach them to pray like he prayed. So these seven messages now, from now to Easter, we're going to be using the theme, Pray Like Jesus, and we're going to visit seven of the prayers of Jesus, including the first time it is ever mentioned that Jesus prayed. I'm confident it's not the first time that he prayed, but it's the first time that it's recorded that he prayed, and it's in Luke chapter 3. He is 30 years old. He is at his baptism, and I'm in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, as we start the series, Pray Like Jesus. And in verse 21 of Luke 3, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Luke records then a genealogy of Jesus, and in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So he had this wonderful experience at his baptism, and then immediately into the wilderness he went, led by the Spirit, and was tempted by the devil. This is the first time it is recorded that Jesus prayed. Mark and Matthew apparently either did not notice or decided not to record this prayer of Jesus, although both of them include a little more detail about the baptism of Jesus than does Luke. I don't know whether the witness Luke is 
relying upon here saw the lips of Jesus moving. Apparently, it was not a great big prayer. It was, though, a prayer that acknowledged the Father's presence. And what I would first say to you is acknowledge with prayer. Acknowledge that God is there, that He is present with prayer. Like this, to God. My daughter in the early service caught my eye before I came up to preach, and she just kind of went like this. I guess that says, I see you. I'm here. Hello, Dad. There's something about the prayer of Jesus that feels like that to me. Hello. It's an important thing to do. It's a simple thing to do. And you do it in prayer. You acknowledge the presence of God. You acknowledge with prayer. Some of you are reticent to do any public displays of religion. You're you're reluctant to in any way be perceived as parading your religion before other people. And really, you're following the instructions of Jesus when you do that. Jesus says, don't pray to be seen by men. If you're praying to be seen by men, well, you've got your reward. When you get ready to pray, go in the closet, he said, and pray in secret. And the Father who sees you praying in secret, he will reward you openly. So those are the instructions of Jesus, not only about prayer, but other religious activities we might do, like giving to the offering or whatever. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So if you feel like, well, I want my, my faith to be something that's not showy, not ostentatious, then follow the example of Jesus here, who when he came out of the water dripping wet, he just said a prayer to the Father in heaven, and that prayer opened heaven. Heaven opened as he was praying. It was a simple prayer. There's something about you praying in the moment of difficulty or rejoicing or sorrow or celebration. There's something about you praying in that moment that just opens the heavens. And all of a sudden, the Father is present there with you. We acknowledge God that way when we pray. Now, we're not talking about superstition. We're not talking about magic. We're not talking about trying to manipulate the deity with some ritualistic words that we utter. We are talking about you sincerely recognizing the presence and person of God in these moments of life that you cherish and making them moments of prayer. Simple, almost invisible, moments where you connect to the Father. Acknowledge with prayer. The Scripture says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. You want God to direct your paths. Maybe you've been praying for direction. Lord, give me direction. Well, the proverb says, this is Proverbs 3, 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And what that means is to acknowledge God in all the circumstances and situations of life so that on the threshold of that moment, you say your prayer. 
Now, if you feel uncomfortable because it doesn't fit with what you're about to do, you probably need to scratch what you're about to do, right? If you can't commit it to God, if you can't acknowledge God in this moment, you probably ought to walk away from whatever it is. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over all. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Jesus is at least doing this with his prayer. But you also confirm things in prayer. As I read this, I know that the Father in heaven planned this moment for his son in the, in the distant past, in the uh, eternal glory of the Father. He was going to announce to his son these things that he said. And so it was determined that this was going to happen and yet Jesus walks out of the water dripping wet with this prayer on his lips. I know that Jesus grew in wisdom as well as stature, that he grew in favor both with God and with man. I don't understand how all that happened. I don't know how the unfolding reality of his mission, his person, and his identity dawned upon Jesus of Nazareth. I can't plumb that mystery. But here at his baptism, he hears the words that every son wants to hear from his father. There are some of you are waiting for your father to say these words. Some of you have worked your fingers to the bone all your life in the hope that your father would say these words to you. And the father in heaven knowing that his son, Jesus, needs confirmation and encouragement at this point, speaks to him in prayer. Now, we don't know a single word. It's not recorded what Jesus said to the Father. All we know is that he was praying, as Luke describes. But prayer is a dialogue, is it not? A conversation between a man and his God. And it's not just the man talking to God, it's God talking to the man, right? I mean, if you talk perpetually throughout your prayer time, you've probably missed something important. Now, what we have here is recorded not the words that Jesus prayed to the Father, but the words the Father said back to his Son. And they are powerful and beautiful words. Fathers, on this Valentine's Day, listen to these words. Now, Luke is the one who records this in the second person. If you go to Matthew and Mark, it is recorded, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. But in Luke, it's in the second person addressed to Jesus. You are my son, the father says, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Are those not the words that every child longs to hear from their parent. Are those not great words on this Valentine's Day? Jesus dripping wet, walking out of the Jordan, about to begin a public ministry that will culminate in him laying down his life on our behalf. This much he already knows, I'm sure. And the Father says, you are my son, 
whom I love. Dad, say that to your son. One of the famous actors had a short biography in the Wall Street Journal in which he talked about how his father never told him, I love you. He just never said it. I'm sure it was in his heart. He just didn't want to say it. Father, you're a little reticent to share your emotion. You're sort of reluctant to talk in these terms. I want you to hear the Father from heaven speaking to his son and take courage and formulate these words which I know are in your heart and speak them audibly to the children or the child God has given you and say, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you. It's a great Valentine's gift to give to them at any age. Now, Dad, your heart is going to soften as you grow older if you're like most of us. And you will come to tears more easily as you get older. And it will be actually easier for you to express your affection to the people that you love as you get older. But it is such a great and wonderful gift to say at any age to the children God has given you, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus pleased the Father in every way. Every day in every way he got straight hundreds on his report card. Does he really need this affirmation? Does he really need the Father to say this? All I know is when Jesus stepped out of the water onto the base of the Jordan, the Father said from heaven to his Son, you're my Son and I love you and I'm well pleased with you. And I believe Jesus had a need to hear that on that day. It was part of the dialogue of prayer on that day. See, you can confirm in your heart as you pray to God what he intends for you to do. But more than that, he will confirm in your heart in prayer who you are to him and how much he loves you. And this you need even more. That's why I love that song we sang. You are a good good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I am loved by you. It's who I am. Is that not a soul-stirring confession that runs right along with these words that God spoke from heaven to Jesus? It's the truth. Say, this truth changes your life. If you hear God speak these words to you, it changes your life. And not just once, but to hear them again in the dark hour of your struggle when sorrow comes like waves on you, to hear the Father say again, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Some of you think, well, God will never say well pleased to me. Because my report card is not straight hundreds like Jesus was. I think the Father searches your life and searches your words and watches your attitudes. And he looks for the moments when he can say to you, well pleased with you. Well pleased 
Sometimes you get it right. I am well pleased. At all times, he says, you are my son whom I love. But there are many times when he says, well pleased with you. And to hear the well pleased of the father along with his confession of love, it is soul-stirring transformation of perspective and life and self-understanding. This is who I am. Loved by the Father. Let the Father speak to you today the words he said to his son Jesus on the banks of the Jordan. Would you hear him? Would you listen? In your dialogue of worship today, let the Father say to you, you are my daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And if a curtain of conviction and guilt comes upon you as you think about your relationship to the Father, then this moment of worship is your opportunity to have that curtain pulled aside. To experience the complete forgiveness of Jesus, the one who rights our wrongs and takes away our sin, not just part of it, but all of it. You can experience that today. You can walk out of this place knowing that the slate is clean before the Father in heaven, that you are absolutely clean in his sight. What a wonderful experience that is to hear him say, I love you. I am well pleased. He loves to forgive. He knows our faults. He knows who we are. And he loves us still. This we learn in prayer as God confirms our relationship and our calling in him. So confirm with prayer. Acknowledge with prayer. Initiate with prayer. You're going to initiate something. Jesus is about to initiate this public ministry of his. He is stepping out of the shadows into the spotlight. This is Jesus at his baptism. Now all the eyes are upon him. All those who have been watching John the Baptist are turning to him. Even the disciples who have been following John the Baptist are going to turn to Jesus now. And John the Baptist will say, I must decrease and he must increase. This is the moment when Jesus launches this public ministry. And he does so walking out of the water praying. The proper stance of prayer is to put your knuckles on the ground Drop a knee to the track and get ready to go. Okay? Prayer initiates the new race you have, the new challenge that is yours, the new opportunity that comes. You initiate it with prayer, and that's what Jesus does. Even though he gets 100s on all his report cards and knows all the right answers, he starts this public ministry praying to the Father as you should as well. Now, there's something going on here that's most profound. Even though Luke records these words spoken to Jesus, you are my son whom I love, in you I am well pleased. John the Baptist is the baptizer, though he is a reluctant participant. You remember, he didn't really want to baptize Jesus. He thought that was upside down and backwards. He said, no, I want you to baptize me instead. And Jesus says, no, we're going to do it this way. We're going to do everything that's right. I want you to baptize me. So John goes ahead and he baptizes Jesus. But God has said something to John the Baptist, a very strategic witness unto Jesus. God has said to him, I am going to send my Holy Spirit on the one who baptizes 
with the Holy Spirit. And that one is my one and only son. And John records after this baptism, having experienced the word and the spirit like a dove coming down upon Jesus, he bears witness, this is indeed the Son of God. In other words, this moment is a moment when not only Jesus is confirmed in his in his relationship with the Father, this love relationship that he has, but it also confirms in the heart of John the Baptist who Jesus really is. I hope there's somebody in Sri Lanka who watched Hansi go under the water this morning and is thinking to themselves, surely Jesus is the Son of God. For Hansi to commit her life in this way to the Lord. Surely Jesus is the Son of God. What a powerful moment you have when you initiate this new thing in your life and you drop your head in prayer, not being showy, not being ostentatious. You just drop your head in prayer, sincerely acknowledging God, confirming this direction in your life. And there are little ears hearing and little eyes watching and people around you who are paying attention that you never knew. And somebody like John the Baptist is going to say, surely Jesus is the Son of God. This is the most powerful witness I've ever seen. This stirs my soul. It touches my heart. It initiated in John this conviction that he must have that Jesus was the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, he says, that takes away the sin of the world. This initial testimony to Jesus, not only confirmed in John the Baptist, but now Andrew stops following John the Baptist and he starts following Jesus. And others do as well. And the twelve that eventually come around Jesus, whom he calls unto himself to be his disciples. They are there in part because of John's Revelation and the confirmation of that call that happened at the baptism of Jesus. Anytime you start anything, drop your head. Say, Lord, watch over me in this. Anytime you start something new, you need to hear God say, You're my son. You're my daughter. You're afraid. But I'm going to take care of you. I love you. Even if you fail at this task you're taking on, I still love you. And I'm pleased that you're seeking to follow the direction I've given you. So initiate new things in your life in prayer. It opens heaven to you when you do so. The scripture says here that the heavens were split open. It's the word schism. Schism, that's the word that's used here. And it's a softer word in Matthew and Mark, but it's the, the fact that it's just like the heavens roll back and all of a sudden God is in the middle of it all doing his wonderful thing in my life. We are empowered in prayer as well. The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, and the Scripture says he was full of the Holy Spirit when he went into the wilderness. I don't know why Jesus is described as being full of the Holy Spirit in these events. You would think all the time in every way he's full of the Holy Spirit. I know he doesn't leak like I do. I get full of the Holy Spirit sometimes. I pray, Lord, fill me up with the Holy Spirit, and I know he has. It's a prayer that he honors, and I'm full, but then later on I'm not so full. 
And so there are many fillings in the believer's life. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit and we get ready to do something. Jesus needed to be full of the Holy Spirit to face the temptation that was coming and the ministry that was committed to his care. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit as you step into that class to teach the scriptures, as you organize that small group this week to talk about I am a church member. Whatever you do, when you come into the choir, when you take care of the children, you need to be full of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to do just what we can do. We don't want to do just our capacity, our natural abilities. We want God to do something in this moment, in this hour, when I'm serving you. God, you do something. If I'm headed to Elysian Fields and I'm going to be serving food this night, I want to be full of the Holy Spirit so it can have maximum capacity to touch the lives of people as I express God's love in this compassion ministry. Every way and every place, whether it's the nursing home or the jail, wherever you go to the neighbor next door that needs you. When you get the call that somebody has died and you don't know what to say and you're reticent to go, you're afraid to go because you don't know what you're going to say, you pray the prayer, Lord, I'm on the threshold of this moment in my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit as I go. Let your Holy Spirit just fill me. And you just commit the words, the actions, and all of that unto God. It is the prayer to pray that empowers you for the work God calls you to do. Now there is a prayer of initiation that we cannot overlook. It's that prayer you pray when first the light comes on and you realize that while God has sent his son in Jesus and Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, I have a response that I must make. And the response is often a response of prayer where I say to God, Father, I believe you love me but I have sinned. Please forgive me for my sin. I open my heart to you. I open my life to you. I want to be yours. And in your words, you express this declaration to God that you are leaving this life that you lived without him and you are receiving this new life with him that you believe Jesus died on the cross not just for the sins of the whole world, but for your sins as well. That he was buried and that he rose again so that you could have new life. You believe in the work of Christ and you receive him as Savior and Lord. And in that moment, something new begins in you. It is a new walk. It's a new life. The scripture says it's being born again. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Something begins new. When you respond to all that God has done intentionally with the will that God has given you, and you say to the Father, I know I'm a sinner, you acknowledge where you have failed and who you are, and you receive his forgiveness. It is a moment to start over, and somebody needs that so bad. Somebody in this room needs to finally Say to God, I give it up. I give it all. I've made this mess. And I bring it all to you. I want to be yours. I want to live this life in you. I confess Jesus as Lord. Somebody in the room needs to do that today. Is it you? Are you the one that has stutter-stepped, has stood on the edge, and never really stepped into faith in Christ? 
trusting him, confessing him as Lord. Why not do it today? Why not let this Valentine's Day be the day you say to God, I know you love me, and I love you. And this life I live from now on, I live in you. Bow with me, please. If it's you to whom I've been speaking about this prayer that starts your walk, your life in Christ, would you just bow your head where you are and say, Lord, I believe you love me and you made me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and he rose again the third day. I know I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that. I pray for your forgiveness. I open my heart. Come into my life. I confess you as Lord. Would you pray that prayer? And in just a moment, would you acknowledge that prayer before men? Would you come and tell one of us, I've asked Jesus into my life. I'm ready to follow him. Would you do that? There's somebody in this room who as you bow your head and you talk to God, what you really need is to hear God speak back to you. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Would you listen for the voice of God and the spirit of God as he speaks his word to you? God, thank you that you are mightily at work in our lives and in this place. And God, we pray that in this moment you would call men and women to yourself and that we would set aside the things that hold us back to fully commit our way unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.